Welcome to Brave New Earth. This podcast is all about climate tech. We're going to be diving into how we can build and invest in the climate technology projects of tomorrow. We're going to be interviewing some of the best founders, investors, scientists, and builders in the space to work out where we should be investing our capital, where we should be building businesses so that we can, one, have a huge impact on the future on planet Earth, and two, build very valuable businesses. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Harry. I'm really excited. Let's dive straight in. Michael, thanks for coming on. I feel like we connected so long ago now, so it's nice to finally finally get the conversation in. Yeah. I, I, was, try, I was trying to think when it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two months ago? Something yeah, something like that. Awesome. So um, this podcast is purely about how we build, invest in, finance the uh, climate technology projects, businesses uh, that, yeah, are going to be one, highly valuable and two, uh, have a really great future uh, great impact on the future on the planet. So I guess there's no guest quite as, as suited as you, right? As your, your day-to-day, you do many of those. So Michael is, is the co-founder of Carbon13. So in, in, in your words, how, how would you describe Carbon13? Um, so Carbon13 is basically a venture builder, um, and we call it ten, talent first venture building. So we start with people that have the intention and the skill set to start a business, and then we give them a platform to first find a co-founder and then validate their business idea and then we help them or we actually invest in the startups um, and then we help them on sort of accelerating that business to a point where they're investment ready, they can get more funding from external resources, get their first customer and so on. Okay. And um, yeah, it's been a very exciting journey over the last two years running it. So venture building as opposed to VC, right, which is I guess the model that everyone knows, VC is startup comes to you, you invest. Venture building is slightly different. So you, you more get talent, interesting people in first, and then you help them incubate their own startup. So you connect co-founders and then um, do, do, do people come in with an idea or are you there to try and uh, help them stimulate an idea? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we have, so in our very first cohort, we decided that we wanted people not to come with their own ideas and they want to, to develop them as a group. But what we realized is actually we need probably about at least half of the cohort to have an existing idea that they have been thinking about for a while, especially if um, we do a lot of hardware, a lot of deep tech uh, investments, a lot of deep tech startups of people that work on new chemicals, new materials, and so on. And those, you kind of need sort of IP that has been developed over a few years. So that's where people come in with ideas and then we help them find it oftentimes a commercial co-founder. Mm. Um, whereas if you have software startups, it tends to often be like a group brainstorming idea where the the, the group comes up with an idea and then uh, starts working on that. So the people that have done that research, is that typically from academia? Yeah, I would say in most cases it's academia. We've had some people, the sort of classic sort of in your garage twink like working on something and like you figuring something out uh in uh the hours like in the evening on on weekends we had a few of those people that sort of are engineers that are just working on stuff and really want to make something work but in sort of 90 percent of the cases it's actually somebody from academia a phd that's been researching something that has uh then existing ip and they bring that ip with them interesting so they come into your your program. You, I'm assuming the the typical partnership based on that is academic scientist kind of person with commercial. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's one of our premises that any startup always should have a technical person and a commercial person. 
Yeah. Like, then there's sometimes also a third person where you might need a sustainability person or you might need somebody that really understands uh, understands the market. I mean, I remember when in 2010, I was building my first, my second startup in, yeah. here in Shoreditch. And there was the saying when you went to like these kind of meetups, the sort of three beards meetup, for example, that you need a hacker, hipster and a hustler. So you need a hacker who can build the product. You need a ha uh, hustler who can sell it and you need a hipster kind of understands the market. And, and, <laughs> and that hasn't changed, right? It's still a thing, right? You need those three dimensions in a startup and it can be two, one person can take two on, but it, you need those three dimensions. This was yeah. 2010 when we, when we built a company called POC, which was an e-commerce, well, actually <laughs> it still is an e-commerce yeah. platform for mobile apps. <laughs> so me and my co-founders, we all um, stepped out of our sort of active roles up until uh, a week ago, actually, I was still on the board. I just stepped down from the board. But um, we had built the company here in Shoreditch from two of us to then 120 people with offices in London, New York, and Sydney. Um, and the company still runs slightly fewer people, but still makes about 10 million in revenue. Nice. Yeah. So I think that's a, a great transition for something that like one of the first questions I wanted to ask you about, because you've had you had a very successful career before this. When did you start thinking, I want to work in climate and why? It's a good one. Um, I think that was, I did a semester abroad in Rio de Janeiro and I met what is now a good friend uh, of mine in, um, in that exchange program. And he was to, always talking about social entrepreneurship and how entrepreneurs can change the world have an impact and change the world. And he brought me to this topic, social entrepreneurship, and um, I then started researching more and, and learning more about it. And I wrote my bachelor thesis on sustainable, uh, so um, social and environmental entrepreneurship as a course. So how do you teach people to do that? And that course is now being taught in my previous university in Maastricht in the Netherlands. And so I guess since then, I always knew I wanted to go back into into this and I'm, I'm laughing because i had to think of, <laughs> like we we had in our very first business plan at poc i wrote this in the business plan like stupidly i don't know why i would le leave this in there to say <laughs> i'm going to do this for five to seven years and then step aside and leave the business which is something you don't want to tell a vc that, like, <laughs> this is your plan right you're going to leave at some point but yeah. um somehow when i left my co-founder sent me a screenshot of that business plan he's like oh yeah by the way you've you've just managed it in nine years but um yeah <laughs> nice. So what, in your opinion, is the opportunity here in climate? That's a good question. What is the opportunity in climate? I think, uh, I think it's a lot of B2B, so decarbonizing industry. If you think that, yes, as consumers, we should change our lifestyles, but often that's a choice of like consuming less, doing less things. Yes, you can sometimes like switch consumption from something that's bad to something that's better. Mm. But uh, by, and, by and large, still buying more things, consuming more things will always take more resources than not doing anything, right? So the argument could be then we just don't, we just do nothing, right? Like just, yeah. just don't consume, don't travel, don't, don't do things. But that's not a solution. So what we think in COM13 is that we should help industry lower the emissions of anything that is being produced. And there's a clear win-win situation when you, when you give, um, automotive firms a material that's better to be recycled, that's more circular, and that is lighter, like one of our companies, Materials Nexus does, then you can actually help them save money and be better for the environment. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And it's something I get into a few Twitter 
arguments about not, actually not even on Twitter just actually in person as well I often meet people that say the key to this is behavioural change people need to change their ways mm. and I'm like uh, even if that was true we've tried it for about 25 30 years now and it hasn't worked you know people haven't scaled back their mm. their their consumption and I don't think they're going to just purely because people care about the environment but purely because you know life's really tough right so that's what I say and, and I would say actually we need to uh, create technology that enables us to live in a, in a greener way mm. um, which I think a lot of people I need to I, I think I might need to change the way I phrase it because a lot of people their response to that is well, well you can't just produce more and, and expect to change mm. but I'm just like that's Again, not really what I mean. I'm not talking about like a new iPhone, a new like sustainable phone. I'm talking about creating decarbonization methods that would allow Apple to mm. produce an iPhone in, in a, a net zero sustainable way. Mm. So I think that's really interesting. So you think the biggest opportunity for these founders is in that B2B, B2B sector, mm -hmm. uh, helping people what, in, in their manufacturing line and production line, anything specific there? Um, so... So we invest in five areas. Uh, so that's new chemicals, materials, new energy, uh, new forms of transport and mobility, um, new food and agricultural um, systems, and new enabling platforms. Um, so new materials and energies, and I just gave an example, right? You mm. can make a a better way to um, you know make new alloys like materials nexus uh, for the automotive industry, or you can make um, a different way to grow bacteria, uh, grow um, plastic out of bacteria, like uh, one of our businesses, 70 Cicada, or make a, a concrete that is carbon negative, like BioZeroc. All of these businesses, they would produce something for, for industry. You can look at um, new types of energy. Obviously, if you can make energy better, both in terms of like make energy that is um, renewable from renewables in, in better ways, but also balance the grid, but also reduce the emissions of houses, then again, you can you can do that. And, and you actually, and in, in, in that case, there is an element of B2C, right? You, you will probably, you will touch houses, you will do retrofit, retrofitting in a better way and so on. But oftentimes, still, I would say we would start with the big landlords that have a lot of properties. And that's probably a bigger opportunity in the short term than going from house to house to house. But I mean, yeah, I completely agree. And that that's not just a case for climate even, right? That's mm. that's just a simple, not simple, but like a good distribution strategy to, to go for the biggest. Yeah, the sun's, the sun's coming <laughs> in my jealous. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should have brought, brought my sunglasses, yeah. Um, that's really that's really cool. So um, something I really want to uh, do on this podcast is um, inspire more potential founders, second-time founders, um, even first-time founders to... Uh, build in climate sounds like um, that was uh, a lot. A lot of the companies you're investing in are incredibly scientific, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were uh, someone n not necessarily with a science background and wants to start pushing into the space, what would you recommend for those kind of people? I would recommend to come to us. Yeah. <laughs> so when I finished that question, I was like, I know exactly where this is going to go. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that that is exactly the... So we have a lot of second-time founders in the software space, coming from the software space. Mm. Like myself, actually, when I, um, when I decided to leave my last business and I started talking to people... And I came, I started talking to Chris, my, 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 one of my co-founders. So there were four co-founders, uh, Chris, uh, Dr. Chris Kurovic, uh, Dr. Nikki D, 
and uh, me and then Frank Norms, who unfortunately passed away. He was our CFO at the beginning. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, it was um, one of those things. Um, but um, Chris and, and Nikki very much sort of understood this problem of like, we have to bring academia together with business people. We also need to bring people that have anybody who hasn't decided, I want to I wanna build a business in this space. We need to bring them together with people that know what to build. Because otherwise you often you often end up with people building like the next carbon accounting tool or next carbon footprint tracker for consumers. And it's just like, it's just the obvious thing that if you know how to, so how to yeah. build software, that's what you're going to build, right? But there's things that you need to have a bit of like industry experience or sort of deep knowledge of a certain space, then you can build something that's truly valuable. And it doesn't have to be hardware, right? There's also software opportunities, but you still need to, if you want to build something in the electric grid and help with grid balancing, for example, you have to understand how the grid works. And yes, you can learn slowly, but it's a, it's a lot faster if you come to a place where you can find people from all sorts of different areas of life and then sort of group brainstorm rather than trying to find out yourself. Yeah, which is a topic I find really interesting, right? Because in the last wave of, I guess, Web2 companies, mm. academia has almost got a very bad name because <laughs> they're like, oh, you don't need to go to school. Like, it's the classic Gary Vee, so, like, all, all this kind of mm. stuff. College is a waste of time. Mm. You don't need this, blah, 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 blah. Which I actually agree with in that Web2 setting. For example, I like um, go, maybe doing a four-year degree in business isn't as useful as just going out and doing business mm. for sure. Same with marketing, same with those kind of subjects. Yeah. But really, um, which, which I love your point, is like we well, I actually did a tweet about it, which got mixed reviews yesterday. But just like, soft, like we can't software our way out of climate mm. change. Like software is definitely key in that. Yeah. But really, hard, like that hardware element is mm -hmm. um, so so key in, in these decarbonization things, right? Mm. And in that, uh, with with that perspective, academia then becomes really, really key because that's where most of this research, it's where most of the funding for the research is, right? So it's almost like, I think in this next, I really believe, uh, people think like Web3 is gonna be the next revolution. I think that could do, maybe not after last week, <laughs> but I still think it's there. But I really think climate's the revolution that people, are, most people are sleeping on, obviously not in our world, but most people are sleeping on. And for that, we need that connection into academia. Mm. Um, something I'm really intrigued about, right? Is, uh, a lot of academics aren't necessarily, uh, from my experience with them and my friends, are necessarily like natural born entrepreneurs. How, like, what have you seen in that? Like, and, and have you seen some of these guys become really good entrepreneurs? Um, so yes, we have seen people go from an academic career to becoming great entrepreneurs for sure. I think there's a lot of fear of like coming together with a business person, them just stealing my idea, right? Like, yeah. How do I know? And there's also a gap of communication, right? Like there's the, the languages are slightly different. The, the the approaches are slightly different. This whole approach of like moving fast and breaking things, that's not something how academia, anybody will in academia will think. Yes. Yeah. Um, even though it might still be true, or at least like from a sort of lean startup methodology point of view, like being able to go out at a point where it's still uncomfortable. Again, that's not something that comes natural to somebody from an academic background. Um, and that's where a program like ours, and there's, there's obviously others, uh -huh. um, help people sort of bridge that, that language gap between the two worlds and bring people together. And I mean, we very consciously um, 
build a team, have built a, a whole sort of culture and a way of our branding, it's it's quite scientific and it speaks to maybe more to the scientific founders sometimes than the and the sort of sustainability founders than sometimes to the business founders. But we've we've seen that they are more likely to come to us. So business people are more looking for opportunities to partner, whereas academics need to be a bit a little bit pulled out of their out of their yeah. shell of the university. Yeah. I mean, can you talk about any examples of people that have come through your program where I guess that's where it's been quite successful, that com that combination? Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm just trying to think. I mean, we've done now 32 investments. And that's a lot, by the way. For for, for you, you've not been going. How, how long is it? Two, three years? To, well, just under two years. Just just under two years and 32. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, we've um, we have a good rhythm of. Um, and probably we could have done, I mean, we've, we've built um, around 35, 36, some businesses that have gone through our, co our cohorts and we didn't invest. I've gotten money from other investors, which is sometimes then uh, a bit painful yeah. because you realize <laughs> we were wrong. Yeah. Um, but then also sometimes we, we have a very strict sort of um, benchmark on, on carbon emission potential of the startup. And sometimes it just isn't, for us, even though it's a good startup and it will have an an impact that is also useful, right? But the impact isn't as large as we as we would want to see it, and therefore a more generalist fund might be more happy to invest in in that startup because it's still a good startup. It's great people, oh. um, but we couldn't make it work in terms of our criteria on on carbon impact. So an example that I gave earlier is uh, Materials Nexus, where you have um, two PhDs from Cambridge um, who have been working on an AI platform that creates new materials and then um, trying to sell that to uh, to big corporates that are in automotives, for example. They um, they those two co-founders, the technical co-founders, they met in our cohort with a third technical co-founder and a commercial co-founder. And the four of them then, so the third um, technical co-founder was a chemist, a chemical engineer who can then take those materials and actually prove in the real world that it works. And then um, the fourth co-founder is a commercial one who's been going out and trying to sell to, to potential corporates. And they've raised quite a bit of money now from, for example, GeForce, which is a um, founder's factory um, climate tech investment fund from... Um, a few other investors that I currently can't recall, <laughs> but um, they also are working with um, a very large automotive company in the UK. Nice. And what's the typical, um, I know this is going to be highly varied, but uh, what's the typical time to launch? Like wh from when they come into the platform through to when they've got something tangible they can sell? Because I, 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 mm. I, I think that's very different in the climate than maybe other industries. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different in software and hardware, right? Like yeah. If you have to go through technology readiness level stages from, from you come maybe in and you know that it theoretically can work and then you have to prove it in the lab that it actually can work. So we have an example of a, of a team where Yubiao um, was the, the technical co-founder. He came together with Louis uh, and Phil. Louis and Phil, uh, Phil is an, an mechanical engineer with, um, yeah, and really interesting business background, and Lewis had some several software startups. So the three of them had uh, this idea where UBL had been researching making um, making ammonia out of hydrogen and nitrogen with a catalyst as a nanotechnology that UBL came up with. Now they're going through these phases of proving that you can do it and that you can create 
meaningful amounts of ammonia through this process, and then you can have to show that you can scale the the process, and and that process can take some time, right? In hardware, an example of a software startup um, is uh, Infios, where Tony and Sarah came together in our cohort one. They met for the first time in March 2021. By um, September, we had invested, and they they sort of probably in June, they had decided on that is the idea that they want to work on. So it took them quite a bit of time to sort of figure out this is what we actually want to work on. And Infios is a, is a platform for players in the battery supply chain to de- well, to trace ba- materials across their supply chain. So basically, if you're a battery manufacturer, you need to know where your materials are coming from. You want to know if there's any kind of human rights violations or environmental issues across that supply chain. And you also want to know where it is, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> Especially these days, supply chains are quite complex, opaque and yeah. complex. So being able to trace that is very important. So they're now working with a UK battery um, manufacturer, um, their first one. They have the product that is life. They... Um, and They've just are closing a um, a seed round of a million plus with two sort of large climate tech VCs in Europe, and yeah, I mean that is basically a year uh, from sort of this is what we're working on to a product live with an enterprise customer and the seed round raised. I think I think like, as you were saying that I, I I just had a thought which I think is quite interesting, right? Because launching a software is feels easier, feels more straightforward, right? Yeah. But in my opinion, hardware is where the real big impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I phrase that wrong. We we can't do it without hardware. Yeah. What's the advantage for these uh, potential founders to go into hardware, and how can we incentivize more people to do so? That's a good question because the risk reward is somewhat more complicated, right? It takes yeah. longer until you know you can actually sell it then again you, you it's more it's i would say it's clearer that you can sell it early on right like with software nobody doubts that you can theoretically build this platform that's the software platform this website or something people in in hardware might doubt that this actually works if it's really groundbreaking at least something new yeah. um but then in software it's about can you actually scale it to and and how much can you charge for it whereas if if you can quite clearly tell, well, if you can come up with a new way to make concrete that is carbon negative, that has the same sort of production uh, ability than normal concrete, then you have a big thing. Right? Yeah. Like, there's no question about the commercial vi- like the commercial viability at that point. It's more about can you actually make it. Yeah. Um, so there's there's different f- proof points, but I think I think that's where governments have to come in, right? Like we have to. Yeah support research in academia but we also have to use things like innovate uk um, and there were others pre-brexit that uh, supported that kind of sort of research and would give grants to exciting business like climate opportunities Um, and for example in the uk it's sort of one to four in terms of private money that startups get and and government money they get whereas in france and germany it's one to one almost so if you have a business that is hardware in those countries you'll get a lot more um equity free support that obviously makes it a little easier to to build something because i think the uk government do genuinely want like the eis great scheme right but they just need to be made known that in this in hardware and in this new sector which is going to be a very important sector we need new types of funding mechanisms which is another question i really um can i say something yeah, about yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah. my favorite thing about them 
is the way they're structured, they explicitly say it does not include anything that generates heat or electricity. So if you're a climate startup and you want to create a new way to create energy, oh, wow. create heat, which is technically energy in many ways, you cannot get SES or EIS or VCT money, which is hilarious. And I told the, I met at a Founders Forum um, event, I met a minister who was responsible for it and I asked him, and I mean, he had literally no idea. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I mean, that's where like, yeah, these things are great and I agree, but they're not really it's not executed right, yeah. for this, right? Yeah. We need to look at them and go like, hey, by the way, you know, we need to build in this space. In my own head, I almost like gave up on government. I was just like, I, I, <laughs> Brexit doesn't help. Yeah, no, I was just like, I actually can't deal with it. So I almost detached myself a lot, a, a lot, a lot from it in a long term. But the more I have these kind of conversations, the more I realize that actually they're going to have to, they're going to have to come in, right? Because there's a lot of gaps in the, I guess, typical investors return profile, which do need, that does need to get plugged by, for example, schemes like that, right? Where you mm. incentivize it. Which segues really uh, perfectly onto a another question I was really keen to ask you, right? Um, so software has a very um, tro uh, trodden path for return profile for an investor, right? Mm. And in my opinion, it very much suits, you know, what, everything we've known in the last like 10, 15 years, right? With the early stage investments, all this kind of stuff. How um, how are you seeing the return profile for the hardware, more scientific stuff being different? And is the current funding ecosystem enough? And if not, what do we need to plug? That was a really long question. I, I do think, so one in particular is, is project finance. And, and obviously that's, I think, what, what you guys are looking at, what you're trying to build, because project finance is something that, um, I mean, in my last setup, we had venture debt from Barclays. Yeah. where we got, um, I think it was, a, we had raised four million pounds in equity and we would get a million from Barclays. It was something like that. And that's venture debt. But then a lot of times when you have um, a, a hardware business, you, you actually have physical components, right? If you buy a bioreactor or if you, ideally you can rent one, but for example, there's a big gap, right? Like a lot of people want to do things in food tech, but there's not enough bioreactors around in the UK to actually do that. Um, so, so entrepreneurs have to be very creative if they're built in, in like biotech and, and, and food tech right now. Um, again, that could be something that a government could support, right? Like you can have centers of excellence where you put some of these bioreactors in and they, they are owned by the government. They can be used by startups. That would be, that would be amazing. Mm. But um, maybe that's a long, <laughs> that's a big <laughs> wish. Um, but um, I think like what is, what is missing is definitely more um, project finance. I think generalist VCs, they, they will take anything that is um, that is software and climate. Right now we have, I mean, we have our businesses are software and in the climate space. And those do get a lot of attention, right? Like we had just had a team that came out of our second cohort where um, two technical founders with a da data background met a commercial co-founder who um, had seen in our own sort of work experience that uh, there's a gap in sort of insurances for for carbon offset developers. Um, the company that they built was called Kita or is called Kita. And they're now raising a totally oversubscribed uh, seed round with, with some generalist VCs here in the UK and some sort of insurance uh, companies. Um, now that kind of business, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for generalist VCs to understand. Then you have climate VCs who have, uh, most of them will say we do some hardware but then they also don't like to do things that are capex intensive. So things where you have to build a factory, 
yeah. not many people like doing that and financing that. And that's, I guess, where project finance comes in, where you have a factory which ideally can be financed in a different way than with equity. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what we're uh, what we're trying to do, right? Mm. Is um, asset backed lending, you know, mm. um, which which just makes sense. Which doesn't, which kind of fell off the radar with a lot of people because it makes less sense in the software model because it's so dependent. Like in in the software model, you rely on share pledges, which mm. are highly like volatile, right? Yeah. yeah. It's something I want to ask you. Say we took carbon thirteen away, mm. can't do carbon thirteen, mm. and you have but you have to do a, a, a climate startup. What are you What are you doing? What I would do yeah. personally. Personally, um, yeah, it's a good question. So something I'm very excited about is the combination of of AI and genetics, AI and sort of the physical sciences, things like improving the way like precision fermentation works or improving sort of physical processes and using machine learning to to improve them and then you can either do something like carbon re um, which is a startup that we know very well and they went through our sort of test uh, venture builder which we didn't go through we didn't invest because we didn't have any a fund to invest in in them but uh, they're being super successful helping uh, cement producers um, reducing their carbon emissions with them with applying machine learning to their processes and generally I think there's a lot of processes where you could apply if you really understand that industry apply machine learning to these processes and and lower the carbon emission that way and there's i just spoke to somebody who runs one of the biggest hospitals in germany really being able to use i mean there's some very simple things you can use apparently to to if you can lower their carbon emissions but then yeah generally using ml and, and, and ai to to do that in different industries and also applying that to physical processes yeah, I would really find that exciting. Yeah, no, that that, that does sound incredible. You mentioned construction, right? Mm. Because that is one of the biggest, right? One of the biggest uh, yeah. emitters, um, which is um, again something I want to rephrase. I think there's a narrative problem in, in climate, whereas, for example, we focus so much on EVs in the public eye, right? Mm. Less so, less so when you actually yeah. dive into it. But in the public eye, it's so focused on EVs. Mm. But really, that that's what like seven six seven percent of, of total emissions and something like construction building is maybe less sexy well definitely less sexy definitely but, uh, <laughs> yeah you can't you can't build it a lot sexier yeah <laughs> somewhere yeah but really uh it's these kind of uh bigger industries um he heavy industries which are the big emitters and therefore the big opportunity right mm -hmm. um how do we how do we wait people up to particularly like early stage founders maybe slightly younger people how do we wake them up to that fact and get them up up, up to speed with doing less sexy stuff hmm. yeah it's a good question because it is if you're a student and you look around you think all the problems are problems that you have that you know students you see, have. Yeah. you do something about food delivery or like some social network or like something that helps your friends get discounts and restaurants i mean i've i've been involved in in entrepreneurship at that point sort of web 2.0 and we all looked at that kind yeah, of stuff right sure. um but it's it's harder to understand how a cement plant works it's harder to understand how a um a bioreactor works. But even though actually there's some of these interesting things, if you're in university, going into these other departments and, and what's I think what makes it complicated is like 
there was already this thing about when when I went to uni uh, quite a while ago. It was just like, well, just go into the engineering department, the software engineering department, and and speak to some people and find your co-founder, right? Yeah. And that's one department. Now you have to go into the in the biotech and chemical engineering and mechanical engineering and like all of these different departments. And there's th these opportunities are way more spread across them. So it's a little bit more complicated to like just go to one place. But um, yeah, I think um, I think climate clubs or sort of um, student associations in climate are really important in that because it will bring people together from different places. And, and maybe that's that's what I would do. I would do one in like different universities and start climate uh, organizations. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think it's also um, something I'm really intrigued to do is how do you make the unsexy sexy? Mm. So, for example, one of my friends did a completely different career path to me, but he is he is a broker for um, private yachts and private jets. Nice. And I always ask him what like because he spends a lot of time with them. Who are these people and how do they make their money? Mm. There's a lot of like generational generational wealth, mm. but the vast majority of people that he deals with do incredibly unsexy stuff. Like incredibly, incredibly unsexy stuff. But I think particularly younger entrepreneurs, they see they they see the sexy stuff because it's on social media. You know, there's Elon mm. tweeting or this or that, and it's like Facebook. But actually, big there's big money to be made doing incredibly unsexy stuff. And I think if people became aware of that, it would then become sexy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess like I would I would hope that the reason you you go into that space is because you you see this impact potential. And and obviously there's a I do think there's a connection between impact and, and, and potential revenue and therefore potential financial outcomes. But um I mean like I think I think doing a startup for the to get rich yeah is probably not a good idea. Like okay why is like, that why is it because you, you your outcome like you have to see the likelihood of the outcome with the potential outcome and like. At least it's not the first one. In most cases, it's the second one that that makes you money, or maybe the third, mm -hmm. right? Like the first one, the 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 most of the st like the percentage, the probabilities are stacked against you in terms of like what you as a first-time entrepreneur, the most like the most the best outcome would actually be raise very little money and sell for ten million. And if you own eighty percent of that, you get eight million, right? To yeah. get eight million out of a hundred million uh, exit. Still means you have to you have to own a fairly large percentage. Uh, if you have like two or three co-founders and then you raise some money and you you know you get diluted and diluted and there might be some preference shares and so on, actually getting to that same outcome is a lot harder. So like in some ways it would be yeah. a lot better to go for the. But that's not what most people in the entrepreneurship sort of world will tell you, right? Like the, it's a big exit, go for a billion dollar exit. Yeah. But that's actually very unlikely. And and also the the higher your valuation goes, the le it reduces your possible exits, right? Yeah. Because there's less people that have that money to buy you. I think that's a really really interesting point. And starting to kind of push, I keep very I keep my finger very close on the narrative on social media, right? Because mm -hmm. I think that has such a big influence on people. And you're right, the narrative has always been build a massive big business. But as you're right, really, so so really just to to, to break down what you said is that a lot of people go for these big, big exits. And to do that, you need to raise a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And typically you need to raise a lot of money early. Mm -hmm. But when you raise funds early, that's when you really dilute yourself the most. So you give away way more of your business than you need to. Yeah. If you can build a business that is um, capital efficient, particularly in those early years, and you're not giving away tons of your business at a very low valuation, mm -hmm. then even if you don't get that, 
you could still earn more for a 10 million exit than you could from a five like 500 like it, mm. if the math so i think yeah. that's that's a that's a really interesting point on that concept that that point um of narrative mm. what did the the climate movement's been going on for so long and we've known about this for so long. There's a hilarious South Park episode about this and I, heard, I need to send it to you after where they're, they're basically just taking a piss out of Al Gore and how he's been going on about this for so long. But it has been going on for so long. It's been like 30, 40, even longer and mm. it's not worked yet. You know, yeah. there's some smart people working in this. There's, there's really good progress, but it's not worked yet. What did, what did they get wrong in, in the narrative? Hmm. I, I do think you need humanity needs it needs to hurt a little bit for us to do anything yeah. unfortunately like we don't act because we know it's the right thing we kind yeah. of act because you know like, like having a drought in the uk or having like a really too hot day too hot like yeah. right people in the uk would always have gone well it's 35 is great right that's yeah, nice. sure. but having it at 40 degrees that's where it becomes painful when you actually businesses can't work anymore the the trains don't run anymore at that point, like we actually start adapting, I think, and at that point, like people will also adapt more of their personal choices, where you actually see it see it painfully happening in front, like for yourself and in front of your your door. Um, I, I I have a, a few friends we talk about this a lot. Like, where does sort of um, this kind of inertia come from, and how do you solve social problems? And I think if you don't, unfortunately, if we don't feel it ourselves, we don't act. Yeah. Yeah. And you already see parts of the world feeling that, right? I mean, obviously Pakistan was crazy and a lot of the southern areas of North America will start to mm. feel that soon. Because like yeah. above 50 degrees, it gets very difficult to actually just like run most yeah. things, right? There's a there's a very interesting book called The Ministry of the Future, yeah. where they it starts with this um, description of a, uh, of a heat wave in India. And it's yeah, I mean, at some point, pe humans can't live anymore, right? And we're not, these extreme weather environments, we're not that far away from that happening. Like, it's not 100 years from now. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> in our, our current lifetime, pathway. Yeah. It's, in, it's in our lifetime, right? Yeah. Like, um, so that is that is quite scary. But also, like, if you, my wife is from the north of Italy. They've had the longest drought uh, since forever. That's the longest drought ever. And some of the very high sort of output agriculture areas there are not capable to produce stuff anymore, like sort of hazelnuts and, and, and wine and, and, and there's many, many different crops that sort of are being are struggling to be made. And yeah, I think now that we see it, I have a hope that that really catalyzes a change in this decade. And And the good thing is, I think we often underestimate the power of concentrated effort over a long period of time, and a long, I'm going to say, let's, let's say everything that happened, that's happening this decade mm. will have a much bigger effect, actually, in the positive than, than we expect, but we might still be too late. Yeah. Um, I think we are. I'm it's positive. Relative, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's relative. Mean, yeah. I, th I think, yeah, I think, and it's very important to be positive about this stuff because i think the closer i get to the issue and i meet people like yourself and i mean even some of the businesses you've spoken about today mm. the closer i get to the issue the more scared i get but also the most more optimistic i get because it's like fuck this issue is so much bigger than i thought it was yeah. and then but there's some awesome people working in this space yeah so i, I yeah. sorry I, I said this wrong i yeah. do think that there is a decent chance 
that with this concentrated effort that's happening at, at this point in time around the world, so many people are switching their careers. And if we have more people, and if we have the same sort of degree of people switching their careers of doing something that might be indifferent or even bad for the environment to do something positive for the climate yeah. and join that fight against climate change, then actually we have a fighting chance. For sure. Yeah, I, I love that point. So um, leading on from that, what's what what's one thing that uh, the average person can do that would be the highest impact for the planet today? Hmm. It's, I find it difficult to generalize, but for example, like we talked about SES and EIS yeah. earlier, and the government, I mean, the, the one good thing that came out of the List Trust government is an increase in the allowance of SES and ES, both for the startup and for the investor. So in the UK, if you earn more than 100K, which a, f a few people, in, certainly in London and in other sort of places do, and you have this have uh, available income to invest in startups, and it can be as little as 10K and 20K, do look for SES funds as well as sort of startups to support in the climate space, right? Like you yeah. can do that and actually get 50% of your uh, investment directly back in your tax return. So it's it's a, it's an amazing tax benefit for individual investors. So that's one thing. If you live in the UK, there's also obviously cedars where you, where the amount can be even lower, as low as a hundred uh, pounds or yeah. fifty pounds or twenty pounds, I think. Mm. So yeah, there's there's that. I would definitely recommend if you have the household income that to sort of some free household income, rather than putting it into an just only into an MSCI world, taking some of it. Not obviously, never don't, don't yeah. take all of it into startups, <laughs> but some of it. And there is enough people in the UK that can do this. Do put some effort into finding like what's a good climate deal. Mm, for sure. No, I love that. Um, yeah, it, it, it is a good scheme, right? And if you get more people looking in there, I also think just more people working in it. Like, just yeah. stop working for companies that you don't think are doing good for the world. Because because if if everyone did that then they'd, um, they'd lose their talent pretty quickly and they'd change their ways, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the general person, I mean, thinking about what, like, yeah, where do you work and how do you, there's also where do you have your money, right? Like, there's there's neutral, there's negative, and there's positive in yeah. banks. Like, you can go with banks that have a very positive impact. Like, yeah. Triodos Bank, for example, um, have a very positive impact and you can bank with them. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's a little bit painful to sign up, and if anybody from Schroders Bank hears that, yeah. please improve your sign up process. <laughs> this paper, um, paper, paper that you have to print out. But yeah. as a bank, they have a very positive impact. Obviously, there's other banks that are also good. I just know about that one. Um, yeah, that's basically how I go into it as well. Which is effectively where Brave New Dow and and mm. the, the Brave New Earth Fund is going to go. Is basically trying to give people a better way. Yeah. Anyway, I've just seen the time. I know we have a hard stop. There's a hundred and one more questions. I want I want to ask you. So let's definitely do a round two yeah. whenever you're around. But um, just quickly before we go, uh, be great if you could just like remind people where they can find you, yeah. um, who should apply, what, what all that kind Amazing. of fun stuff. So basically. Anybody can apply, honestly, like we don't, like we want the most diverse possible set of co-founders or founders in our cohorts as, yeah, as we can get. So anybody with any background, like if you ever, if you've done sales before, if you've done marketing before in any kind of way, shape or form, and you want to, the main thing is you want to start a business now and you want to start a business in climate. And then you apply and then we, we will get back to you. You get two interviews and, you know, if you if you do a, put a serious application in. We now have applications open for Berlin, uh, which is basically our European cohort that's starting on the 21st of February. So applications are open for that and cohort five in Cambridge. 
are open as well. Um, the exact start date, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's around April next year. Awesome. It's such a good scheme. Uh, wh yeah. Whenever I see my, whenever my friends come to me, they say, "Well, no, I'll start a business." I always end up your <laughs> way. So I wonder how many of them are actually in your in your inbox right now. <laughs> I, I hope yeah, so. yeah. I hope so. awesome, but, uh, dude. It's been so so much fun. We'll definitely do a round two. Uh, massive, massive fan of what you're doing, and yeah, it's been a great pod. I've enjoyed That's it. Fun. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you.